do that. All righty. Well, here we are. Another episode of The Successful Failure. And I'm here today with Teresa Lowe. How's it going? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming out here. I really appreciate it. Let's start. Dude, uh, what did you do today? What did I do today? Um, I pretty much just came here. Like, that was my day. <laughs> I mean, I did work in the morning, so I should say that. I guess uh, working for me, I wake up, I do some work at my computer, I work in my home office, and so I guess I sometimes forget to tell people that. But yes, I work in the morning. I wake up at 6 a.m. and I work. Okay. Well, this is, uh, like I was telling her before, but this is an interesting um, episode for me because you are a lady boss. You do a lot of, <laughs> you do a lot of lady boss shit. Honestly, I feel like I do it because I don't really have a personal life. And so I just always work and it kind of keeps me busy. So that's it. It's okay. not because I it's not like I had this like dream of being in this like boss bitch. It just kind of happened. So you wear a lot of hats. So let's uh, as an introduction, let's tell the people like w what you do for work. You're obviously a stand up comedian. What else do you do? So, OK, I'm a stand up comedian. I'm also a writer director, producer, model, and actress. Uh, I have my own production company. I also have my own freelance writing company. So those things have been kind of keeping me busy. Um, I guess those are the main things, yeah. So really creative stuff. Okay, okay. And what do you write? Um, mainly I write for Hustler Magazine. That's what I'm probably best known for. But I also do like more boring stuff. Like I do a lot of copy editing. Um, I've written press releases, um, blog content, things like that. So kind of just anything that people will pay me for. Okay. So it's more just like what you said, more of like a freelance company than you're taking on jobs and stuff like that. Yeah, basically it's like usually, you know, it's interesting. I found a lot of work off Craigslist and then off LinkedIn. And so people just like kind of offer me gigs and I'll just write whatever. And I actually kind of found that like the um, more boring companies, like something like, let's say a law firm or something, they pay great and they're like steady clients. I see. Yeah. That's interesting. And so you write for Hustler Magazine. Like, do you write, like, what do you write for them? So for them, I am, um, I'm interview the models and I also do like longer features, like let's say about like a celebrity or something. And then, um, they also have a bunch of other magazines, like, um, more triple X magazines, but they also have to have copy for that. So I write that as well. So I kind of do a lot of different types of writing for them, but I rarely use my name. I see, I see. So it's like a ghostwriter type of deal. Pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And your director, we talked about earlier, you did your first feature documentary. Yeah, I did my first feature documentary. Um, it was called Breaking the Fourth Wall. It was about the fourth wall and like how Joe Menente created the slotted system. And so I directed that. Um, I finished it up um, last year, basically. And then it premiered in February at LA Live. And then now I'm in the process of trying to get it online. Okay. Is, was that something that you like kind of like always wanted uh, to do, like to get into directing features and stuff like that? Or is that something you were inspired when you started stand uppers? So I've always wanted to be um, a director. And so actually I went to film school, I went to USC and okay. I studied screenwriting there. And um, there's supposed to be a writer director program. And so I came to the school and they're like, oh, we don't really have that program anymore. And I was like, well, I've already paid my tuition, but okay. <laughs> so I was like, I don't have the best um, experience with the school. Wow. Um, but I did aspire to do that, but I'm kind of glad it didn't really happen for me at that time because I was really young and I probably would have made like a terrible film and spent a lot of money. And so I've kind of been spending the last few years just kind of like gaining my skills. And really now I'm like, if I do something, I want to do it right. Because especially with film, it's, as you know, it's like, it's expensive so if you mess up you wasted a lot of money and time and people's energy and so now I'm kind of like if I do it I want to do it right 
Right. I'm not, and I'm not going to lie to you. That's kind of why I kind of like doing this now with the podcast because it's like not a lot of money has to go into it. <laughs> but I'm still kind of doing the same thing, especially with the clips, you know, like I'm trying to find stories to tell, like a beginning, middle, and end mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I get to talk to really cool people. So well, like, I also noticed with your podcast is that the production value was so high. Hmm. So I kind of had like, I had a vibe that you had some sort of experience because it looked so good and it sounded so good. So hats off to you. Thank you. No, this is honestly, I just did my research and this is like for the the bare minimum I could get, honestly. Well, it's amazing. It still looked way better than most people. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) You have your own podcast too, don't you? Yeah. So I have a podcast with Oliver Wong. It's called Sex and Boba. And so... Um, I have a film background, but he also has a, a master's in film as well. So it's like we both know how to do production, and but he mainly handles most of the production. Okay. Uh, did you guys meet at USC? No. Um, he actually went to Chapman, and then we met through the comedy scene. So, um, like... We met actually at Bert's back room. Um, I don't know if you were around when that was around. Uh, it it was like kind of like a slotted open mic, mm-hmm. and then it shut down during the pandemic. But that's where we met, and so we've been kind of friends ever since. Okay, so you've been in the scene for a while then. For five years. Five years. Yeah, but I've been in LA for fifteen years, so I've been here a long time, and like I've always loved comedy. I've always loved stand up, but I was always too scared to do it. And I kind of got to this point where I was like, you know, um, I have my own writing business. Business, but I'm always at home like I felt really like kind of isolated and I was like you know I need to meet new people and I need to like be out more and so that's when I started doing stand-up okay um, now did you feel because I had a conversation yesterday with another screenwriter we felt like our screenwriting abilities didn't translate or and, and currently my it, they're not it's not translating well into stand-up comedy mm. how do you because it's just you know with f- screen like screenwriting is the details Right. And then here it's the detail and stand up. It's the details, but it's a different. You got to shorten it up. Did you feel like you had that problem, too, when you first came into comedy or I think stand up helps you with, let's say you want to be like a talk show, like where you want to have like monologue jokes or something like that, or even doing some sort of like sketch show, like a like a Chappelle show kind of situation. But I don't think it will help you write like an Oscar winning like feature by any means. Like, I think that you're right. It's a different medium. And also it's like, um screenwriting is so structured that someone who just has the mind of getting up on stage and making people laugh doesn't necessarily have like, um, they can't sit there and write like a beat sheet and like come up with different scenes and be that organized. So it is a different skill set. I think the same person can do it, but it's not always going to be the same person. Right. Did your, did your skills translate well when you started stand up? Cause you, like I said, you, you're doing the writing thing for so long. It helped me when I came to like writing where like I knew to like not do a lot of fluff. I knew like kind of what people want to listen to. I had that kind of ear. But other than that, I would say no. Like I just think that like it's so different because also for me when I started, I was really, um, what's the word, um, like stiff. So like my writing, it was like strong, but also sounded like it was written. And so I actually had to force myself to like get rid of that and just get up there and be myself. And that was actually hard for me. So I actually think a lot of writers start off and stand up and aren't as good as someone who's just a performer but sometimes people who are just a performer don't have the material because they just go up there and think they can just be charming so you have to have both you have to be able to write and perform that's interesting okay that's interesting uh so you do uh when did you start getting into like producing your own shows because that's something i wanted to touch up with you uh you were more i, I you uh sorry the, all the guests I've had, you're more on the business side. So I'm so interested in kind of like how you navigated towards that, what inspired you to do that and 
tell me a little bit about these shows. So I started doing stand-up. Like I started stand-up where I was like a student at Flappers University. And like um, I would just take a bunch of classes. And I kind of waited for about two years before I felt like I was like really ready to put myself out there. I still do shows and stuff like once a month, but like I wasn't producing anything. I wasn't really like big into the scene, I guess. And then when I was like, okay, I'm finally ready where I think I can produce a good show. I went ahead and I did a, like a fundraiser for this um, charity called rain. And so um, it, that was a big hit. I think it was like about 50 people. Um, yeah, it was a really good show. Um, but how did I, why did I do it? I think it was like, I've been on good shows and bad shows. And sometimes when you do a bad show, I'm like, I could definitely do this. And then when I was on good shows, I also was like, I could do this. And so I was kind of like, you know, the only, what's really stopping me? And there's like nothing. So I was like, I'm just going to put it together and see what happens. So when I did that fundraiser and it was a success, I was like, I am just as good as these other people. And now I don't have to wait around and like hope I get booked. And so then I just kept doing it. And like at one point I was producing like four shows a month. It was crazy no at so many shows. And then the um, pandemic happened where it kind of slowed me down. And after the pandemic, I really kind of evaluated like what is the value of this? And so I was pretty much on shows like breaking even. I wasn't like making money. And so I was like, what is the purpose of this? And I kind of realized like a lot of times with shows, it's either that you really like it or you're kind of using it to network or like advertise yourself. And that's when I kind of realized that you don't need to do this many shows you really mm. only have to do one a month and you get the same result and so now I only do one a month and I do this show it's called like Teresa Lowe's No Ho Sh uh, Comedy Showcase and right now it's at Studio 6 at Ant Rehearsal okay and then it's just a ba your basic stand-up show like yeah. yeah, it's just basic because I actually, when I had my heyday of too many shows, uh -huh. I had an underwear show. It was called Teresa Lowe's Slumber Party. And I got like so many people to like perform in their underwear and people were like dying to do it. Like no I way. think everybody just wanted to like be in their underwear. It was like hilarious. And so I had the show booked out for like six months in advance and then the pandemic happened and it just like died. Um, and I don't feel like bringing it back because at this point I don't even want to be in my underwear because I'm just oh, like so forget you had to be in your underwear too? Oh, I guess that makes oh, sense yeah, for host. That's how I sold yeah. so many tickets. <laughs> Just to be real with you. It's like they wanted to see me in my underwear and I delivered on that. And now I'm kind of like, no, you guys can pay more for that. It's like not going to give it away. It's so no, cheap anymore. The only um, Yeah, basically. Um, and so, yeah, that was one theme. And then I'm trying to think if I did other theme shows. Basically, I would just kind of do the standard showcase model where everyone got like the same amount of time and okay. I booked 12 comics, including myself. Um, so I, I did it that way. I didn't do it the headliner model where it was like um, one guy got like a bunch of time and everyone else got a little time. It's like right. everyone was pretty much equal. And so that was like this. That was the way I did it. Uh, how did how do comedians react to that? Did, did they, do they like that system? I think it worked because like everyone like got the same amount of time and like I was like really nice to them. I was never creepy. And so it was kind of like the it was a very low standard of just like all you have to do is show up and like promote the show. I don't make you bring anyone, but just show up and support your other comics. They'll support you. And so I guess the only real benefit people were getting was that they were having a good time. But that's when I kind of realized that actually matters to people, too, because most stand-up shows, if anything, if they pay you, is like $20. So everyone's yeah. kind of like, who cares, right? Right. Um, so really, what are you getting? So what you're really getting out of it is um, state, at least in Los Angeles. But what you're really getting out of it is just stage time and like a good time. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I'm going to provide you with that. And people were satisfied enough with that. 
That's awesome. People aren't making a bunch of money off stand up in LA. Right, right. Um, damn, I had a question. I f- totally forgot. Oh, take me behind, like more behind the scenes of how to get like a show produced. Because I've got a couple ideas that I want to uh, for a show, but I just don't know how to navigate through them. Tell me a little bit about how you kind of produce these things. So you need like different things where you need to have, to, you need to get a venue. And then you need to have the comics you want. And some comics are so professional where you can just rely on them and they're wonderful. They're both funny and professional. But sometimes you're going to get people who are very business oriented and they put them on the stage. No one will laugh. They're not funny. And they'll, but they're the kind of people who hit you up constantly for a spot because they're so like business hungry. Right. And it's like you kind of can't book those people because yeah. they're not good on the show. And then you get people who are actually really funny, but they're unreliable. They'll show up whenever they want. They'll leave yeah. after they're set. They'll like complain all the time. Like you just don't really know what you're going to get. So hopefully you will book people that will be both professional and funny, but you won't know that until you work with them. Cause a lot of people will schmooze you and you'll think that they're all nice and then you try to work with them and they're insane. So you won't know that until experience. Um, judging by your face, you're like, I've seen that, yeah. Hollywood, you yeah. know? Yes, yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so, uh, the comics, the venue. And then after that, it's like, how are you going to sell tickets? Right. So, you know, there's that bringer model that people have, like you have to bring people to, um, get on the stage, but usually more experienced comics who are in LA for a while, they can't, they're not right. going to bring for right, one thing. They're yeah. not going to do that show. And then also it's like, they can't at a certain point, they just don't have friends to bring. Right. But what they bring the value is that they're really funny. And if they're funny and professional, that's really important to you. So then you just have to kind of figure out how are you going to sell tickets? Right. Um, really even in LA, a show with just 15 people uh, the audience is considered a success if the room is small. So you don't even have to sell a ton of tickets, but even selling 15, even if they're free tickets, still hard to get those 15 in the room when you're no not kidding. famous. Damn. That's but, crazy. Have you produced shows just in LA? Um, just in LA, but during the pandemic, I did a lot of zoom shows and then the zoom shows were interesting because I got people around the country and that was really cool. But I think the problem is now no one will watch those shows anymore. Like even if you're like, you know, I'm from Kansas, a small town in Kansas, they don't want to log into zoom anymore for a show. So even you're not going to get that anymore. So I think that that's over basically. Mm -hmm. You moved from Kansas to LA for film. Yeah. So I went to film school and like, that's what drove me out here. Okay. Okay. Um, how do you get these? How do you get these venues for your clubs? Do you are you just hitting places up and asking them? Usually, the way to find the venues is if they've already hosted some sort of show before, easy. Just look at to see, hit them up and say like, you know, what's what's the deal that you offer? Because sometimes mm-hmm. people will give you different deals. Like you have to pay for the room. Like I know there's this one venue where you have to sell basically like a thousand dollars at the bar. Holy um, shit. And for some people that's easy and for other people it's like insane. Other people will be like, you have to pay me $50 an hour for the space. Um, Other places will be like, we'll give you the stage for free, um, but they'll only give you a trial. So if you do a show there and it's a Uh, bomb and makes no money, then they won't give it to you again. I see. So there's different business models. So what I kind of did when I started out is um, I would look online and I would just follow all the venues that had... Mm. um, shows there and then sometimes they'd actually even post like we're looking for producers and then i would hit them up and then find out what the deal is and if the deal sounded good i'd move forward sometimes the deal wasn't good for at least for me mm-hmm. like it worked for some people like about paying up front and all that stuff but i don't want to do that right 100 percent. that's awesome dude that's crazy 
that's a crazy thing to do, like producing shows and stuff. Not crazy, but it's just it, it, it is hard. Yeah, yeah, especially and with comedy and like how, like what you said, there's a lot. Sometimes not a lot of money being made. Uh, I basically view it this way. Some people, I don't know, maybe they are making bank, but for me, I'm just breaking even at best. Um, so for me, I'm just doing it to like be social and like, you know, get a network and then have stage time and also be able to control a good show. Um, but for other people, I don't know, some people are making money. I know uh, bringer producers actually always make money, yeah. but their shows are not considered to be good, but they make money. Other people, it's like, you know, their shows are good and maybe they're going to build a brand. And I think long term, that's a smarter strategy. So it really just kind of depends on what people's goal is. My goal is to build a brand. And so since I've been doing it so long, people do just come in off not off the street, but they find me and they pay for a ticket. So my show's strangers actually come. Okay. Yeah, but okay. it took a while to build that. Right, yeah, absolutely. And these shows that are selling out, like are they more so just people have a huge following on social media? Is that how? I think social media sometimes helps, but I've noticed like, at least me being a producer, is like sometimes people with a big following, like no one comes to the show to see them. And then it's like, well, they better be funny on the stage. And sometimes they are funny and sometimes they're not. So I actually now, I think because I basically get most of the sales or most of the seats sold mm -hmm. I just look for are you funny and professional like if you're gonna annoy me I don't want to work with you yeah um so that's my criteria now okay yeah because no one has ever been like I'm so annoying and not funny but I brought 20 people like that never happens like people come up to me they're like oh, I'm gonna bring a bunch of people and I'm like I know you won't, but I'm almost going to test you and see. And then they never do. And then they not as funny. So I was like, you just double burned yeah. me. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> so right? that's why I was like, forget it. I'm only going to book on quality. I mean, as a lot of places should, you know, sometimes going to a show kind of sucks, but yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I, I, sometimes like, I, again, I'm very fairly new to this, so I don't know what's going on. Um, is, would, you directing adult film something you want to bring up so yes i have directed one um but i've been shadowing my friend oliver he's um in the adult world he's known as bloomer yang but in bloomer comedy yang. world he's oliver wong um but we have a podcast oh, yeah, together okay, okay. yeah so he and i have a podcast together and i've written for hustler for nine years so that's a really long portion of my life so i'm like Comfortable. Comfortable. And also, I'm technically already in the adult world. So what's the difference between I'm working in magazines versus I'm working in production? Like, maybe well, to some you, people you it is. You get to see everything. <laughs> but, but I'm also like, I just feel like in the pictures, I'm already seeing stuff. Any, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's other people view it differently. But I'm also kind of like, it's, it's different, but not that different for me. And so, yeah, when I directed my first film, I was like, oh, this is fine. I just viewed it as directing a film. And like um, his films or with the companies that he works for, they have stories. And so I got to do this really comedic short. And then, you know, at the end, they, they do it. But like, no way. Yeah. I mean, because it's a porno. They have to do it. Right. Um. You're that's, like, no way, but that's, that's what they do. Well, what was kind of like the big, like the story in the beginning? So I wrote the story too. It's called Not Guilty. Um, and what the story is that uh, there's um, a lawyer and she lost a case. So she goes to talk to the judge afterwards and tries to convince him otherwise. And so then she seduces him and they, they bone. Um, and that's the story. <laughs> 
That is amazing. How many pages did you have to write? So the stories themselves are only two to three pages okay. and then they bone. And the, the boning... Get right to it. Yeah, but it's funny because the boning is about like, let's say 25 minutes, but then it's on the page. It's like one paragraph. It just says the sex scene starts now. <laughs> And then uh, how does that usually work? I'm so interested in this now because it's like <laughs> you as a director, you know, you're shot listing, you're storyboarding. I did all that, yes, no I, did. I, I did. all. I took it seriously. I did it just like I would do a film. Yeah. I did storyboards, everything. I gave the, the actors notes on their performances. I did all of that. I, I treated it just like a short film. And then at the end, they bone. Like I'm very serious about my filmmaking <laughs> put that usc degree to use Rube. i did i was like oh my god like i thought about that a lot because like i went to film school with some baller people i'm not going to name drop them but like some baller people okay and yeah usc is there's a lot of heavy hitters yeah there. and then to me i was like oh look at me i did a porno you know like <laughs> was that something you always wanted to do no, I don't think my life ended up nothing like I thought it would be like, you know, like this podcast was successful failure yeah, where yeah. it's like, I feel like that's what I am because I definitely feel like this is not the life that I thought I would have. But at the same time, like I like my life, but this is not what I never thought I would end up at Hustler. I never thought I would just like be friends with a bunch of porn stars. This is not the life that I thought, yeah. Are you enjoying it though? That's all. That I really enjoy it. And that's what's crazy is like, I'm having more fun now than I did when I was trying to be in Hollywood. So the ironic thing is I actually did work. I'm in the WGA. I have worked, written for like an HBO show. So I've done Damn. mainstream stuff. Good for you. And, but it's funny. And all of that was fun too. But it's just like kind of funny is like those opportunities didn't open up for me until I did stand up comedy. Like before that, like after I graduated from USC, I worked, um, on a Disney show and I was just so broke. I was just like, I can't afford to live like that. So I went corporate and, um, I just did some boring corporate job and it was fine, but I was like, this is not the life I wanted either. And so, um, I worked that for a few years and then I ended up like, I was like, okay, I'm going to take a chance on myself and work on freelance writing. Like that's it. So I quit my corporate job, which is terrifying because the corporate job was like so cushy and I had such great benefits and I gave all that up. And then, but that's actually what propelled me to where I am today. And so it was really scary to take that chance on myself. How um, long ago was this? Uh, over 10 years ago is okay. when I gave up the corporate stuff. And like, so I guess I started my business, I think in like 2012, maybe. I don't know, something, I can't even remember, but a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And so then I've just been doing my freelance writing ever since. Yeah. That's amazing. Good for you, dude. But terrifying. Yeah, Really absolutely. terrifying. <laughs> How long did you feel like you had, were, were you doing that freelance writing until you were like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Like you can... I think once I started getting the, so I, when I was a working corporate, I was already having clients. So it's like, I, um, I didn't leave the job until I was like, okay, I have enough like side business to sustain myself. And so that's when I quit. And then I started getting more and more once I had more time to pursue it. But yeah, I, I was already kind of trying to create this side business while I had the corporate job. So corporate jobs always good for, you can just sit there and pursue other things secretly. Mm. 
Did you did you mean to go into stand up and then as like a vessel to open up a different doors? No, or? I purely was just like lonely and needed friends. Like I um like as a freelance writer, um I interact with people mostly through email. Like mm. I really was just really isolated and a lot of my friends are writers where they're introverts and so it's like we're, I was never like a party gal. I was never like I had a ton of places to go or something like that. And so I was like, okay, stand up is a way for me to meet new people because I'm not meeting new people any other way. Um, and so I just purely started it for social reasons because I always loved wow. comedy. That's cool, dude. Yeah. That's really cool. And then you just fell in love with the craft? Yeah, I just love the craft. Like, I'm not in it to be famous. I actually, like, don't really want to pursue, like, fame. Like, I feel like that's a little, like, too intimidating for me. Maybe also because, like, a lot of my fan base has turned out to be, like, old, rich men. <laughs> And that sounds so weird. Not at all. For an Asian girl. For an Asian girl. But I was like, I was like, like I always like had this idea. Like if I became a celebrity, I thought I would be like a role model to like little girls (laughs) or something. No, that's not what happened to me. And I was like, oh, it's just old rich men want to throw money at me, which is great. But this is not like what I wanted either. I was like, okay, I don't, I don't need to take this further. I was like, oh my God. It's like sometimes too, it's like the market shows you what you are sometimes and i was like i i don't like this mirror in my face (laughs) (laughs) um let's take it back to the adult films what is it like on set that's what i'm 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 so like i've i don't know i'm just so so curious okay so i've been asked to shoot one because of my you because know, i yeah because you know it yeah are you going to no uh, why not it makes me uncomfortable okay my advice to you is just do it and use a different name. It's really not as uncomfortable as you think. That's all I have to say. Yeah. I don't want to like pursue you in yeah. but if someone actually offered you a job, I don't know why I you hear would the say no. Great or the pay is great. The pay is great and like everyone's nice to you. Everyone's just happy you're there. Like if you're competent and like professional and nice, it's they're just so happy yeah. you're there. Because I've been, even been on sets where there's a kissing scene. Like there was this one thing I did. Uh, it's called Gods of Food. And they were having like a food orgy. But there was like a whole bunch of people kissing. And I just, I felt awkward. I was just like, I, I don't know if I... Okay, so the set is just like a real set where like, you know, there's a crew. It's a small crew, but it's a crew. It's not just like a few people. It's mm-hmm. like a decent amount of people. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, Sometimes, you know, the stars will walk around naked and um, sometimes there will be like jokes that they make, but like it's consensual because they make them. But Mm -hmm. you as the crew don't make creepy jokes to them, you know, kind of thing. And so in actuality, to me, it felt so safe because when I was working like mainstream sets, like everyone was just like perving out and they felt like it was okay. And you're always like, what versus like in adult sets, everyone is like very like, Oh, is this okay? So you don't do anything unless the performer basically allows you to. And so you just feel really like comfortable. Like you're not going to be like preyed upon. And, um, but it's just really professional. But when it comes to the actual like dirty part, most people, um, in the room, it's only the person watching is the director, um, the AD, mm, and the right, cinematographer. Right, yeah. Everyone else actually oh, goes yeah. away and like looks away. So, were you offered like a editing job or something? No, 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 just to go shoot. I, I went to go play golf once. Oh, okay. And then I played with this couple, and they did OnlyFans, and what? Well, both. Well, what, the, the girl did OnlyFans, and the dude started getting into porn through OnlyFans, mm. and 
I told them what I did and they were just like, do you want to help us shoot? And I was just like, nah. Oh, as a cinematographer, you'd have yeah. to watch as the cinematographer. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of different because like the gaffers and stuff, they actually can go in a different room. Right. Um, oh, I guess the sound guy's in there too. But for the most part, the other people don't watch. That's interesting. They don't want to. Is, is it true that if you work in an adult, I've heard this, I don't know if it's like a truth or what, but if you work in the adult films, you can't work in Hollywood. Is that true? I don't know. To me, I was kind of like, I wasn't getting a ton of Hollywood opportunities. Yeah. You know, I got really lucky getting my HBO gig because I flat out just told them in the interview process is like, I write for Hustler and they thought it was the funniest thing ever. I think they actually hired me because of the Hustler thing, oh, not shit. not in spite of it. Right. Versus I've like actually had other interviews where they were really fascinated by it, but I felt like they just wanted to be like, oh, we are talking to you and we're going to steal your thoughts, but we're not ever going to hire you. So it's like, I oh, okay. I haven't really had like, you know, amazing opportunities in Hollywood personally for myself. So I was going to like, who cares? Yeah. Also, I view life this way. Um, why am I going to turn down money when for potential money? Because potential money might not exist. And also when you're working an adult, like the difference is, I guess I tell people, but I, if I never told anyone, no one would know anything. Right. So who would care? Who knows? Most of the time you just work there and you don't say anything. Like there's no real stigma if you just don't tell people. Yeah. Absolutely. Because for me, I'm like, I'm going to tell everybody. Like, I don't care. And then, like, when I make my shorts and music videos and stuff, I'm like, I have this idea that I, I basically want to make fun of um, the male gaze. And, like, so I, the way I feel like I can perfectly do it is I've completely created stuff for the male gaze. So I'm, like, the expert on how to make <laughs> fun of it. So I'm, like, not going to hide this. And also, like, the short film, not the short film, but the porno that I made is so funny that I'm like, why would I not share this with people? It is hilarious. Like, I'm going to tell everyone. Are you directing, like, what positions they're getting into? Like, okay, now you guys go over here and... So... Kind of, but not really where um, you discuss everything beforehand and then you just have the camera roll on them. And then if they want to cut, they cut. But if for the most part, you just have the camera rolling kind of situation. Um, but everything's discussed beforehand. So because it's not going to be sexy with me just yelling in the yeah. middle of their of their time. You Look know, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Give me the camera. <laughs> That's crazy, though, that it's, it's more, uh, I guess, like just respectable it's, on on an adult film set then it's respectable. you can learn something about that it's hollywood respectable learn and from like, adult films that's what's crazy too is like i feel like i would be such a good director for like hbo or any of those cable like networks yeah because yeah. to me i was like i 100 percent know how to direct that stuff and i'm not creepy yeah. versus they constantly hire these people and you get in trouble because the dudes want to like have sex with like the actresses and those Hollywood people are actually in my head they are sometimes creepier than the people in the adult industry and it's just the adult industry has stigma but whatever but at least the adult industry also comes with money so it's like you're like who cares but like you don't hear all those stories though like what it's like on set like obviously everyone your first week on a Hollywood set it's very traumatizing as a PA like that was my first time going in and I went into a show that millions of dollars was SWAT CBS mm. but I did why was it traumatizing it was just the 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 uh the process of everything dude and just getting yelled at for fucking 
nothing. It, it was fucking, I mean, and you go through it, you know what I mean? And you accept it. And for the longest time, because that was the only show I was getting hired on, I was like, this is how it's going to be. And so I just have to accept it. This is the ironic thing. No one would yell at you in the adult world. Yeah, like right? no one could treat you bad in the adult world. Because like, the thing is, the adult world is run by women. Like that's what's crazy too. It's no like way. the women have the most power because without the women, like you would have no product. So you can't creep out the women, you know, if the woman tells all her friends that like you're creepy, you just have no job. Like right. it's really interesting. Cause like, um, creepy photographers always hit me up and I'm always like, no, I don't freaking know you versus like, uh, photographers, male or women that are vetted by the adult industry are all very respected because like they won't risk their jobs just to hit on a woman, you know, sure, right. Yeah. It's just not worth it. Yeah. So it's the same thing as like, I've just, in Hollywood, the way people get treated and like they also aren't paid very well. A lot right, like dude. people at the yeah. top are, but um, no one else. Yeah. Where it's like that's not how the adult industry works. So the thing is, is that adult industry, you get stigma, but you're treated so nice and paid well that it's like it's almost like what really stops people from entering it, I think, is uh, Christian morality, maybe or just, right. you know, religious morality, yeah. because no one would yell at you on an adult film set that's so crazy to think about because those are the stories you never hear like because it's so and, pleasant yeah, yeah. have you you know you i don't know if you've met other porn people like but they're probably like the nicest people you ever meet it's so weird like they're all happy yeah and very open to a, like to an extent where they're not being gross you know what i mean they're very just like yeah like i'll tell you what yeah they're just people yeah. versus like hollywood people they're i've met a lot of hollywood people where they're like really social climbing you get that vibe or they're really like bitter or it's just something's like really off about them where i'm like yes. you have a worse life than i do like that's, zombies yeah the that's zombies. why that's why i no longer hide my association with it because i was like i've been at hustler nine years hustler has been so good to me yeah. where i was like my editor is a woman and she's so nice and so respect or um, respectful like when she sends an email it's just like really like the directions are so clear and she's just so nice versus like other industries. Like I've worked other, I've worked at a YouTube company and tell me, tell you that was fucking awful. It's awful, right? <laughs> that was fucking terrible. Mainstream people are not as nice. It's so this weird. This is wild. I it's did not. so weird. And like, I did not know this. And so I, and also I sometimes also don't know if maybe just my experience has been great mm -hmm. and maybe Oliver's yeah, just yeah. great. But like, <laughs> we're just kind of like life's, fun for us now that we've developed this like bubble that we have and we also don't know if like it's great outside of the bubbles we created but we have a great time right and that's really all that matters at the end of the day is if you're having fun you're you love what you do you know what i mean and it's not traumatizing it's the opposite i feel just so much more safe um, now than I did like when I was trying to pursue right. a ton of Hollywood stuff. Mm. Hollywood people are so creepy. <laughs> like I remember like when I was like an aspiring screenwriter, like uh, weird agents or like producers, yeah, they would ask me on dates. They didn't even read my work. And I was like, what, like 24 and then you're oh like 45. Gosh, and, but the thing is they like lie to you. Like for instance, like let's say you it's wanted predators. to do porn or something. And like someone asked you to take off your shirt, but you're like, that's what you're there for. If you're trying to do that, right. Hollywood lies to you. They're like, we're going to have you win an Oscar and be a writer. No, they're never going to have you do that. But then they, they, do just as nasty stuff yeah, to you. Yeah, exactly. So I was a little bit like, whatever. At least this is a more honest place to be where people are more financially taken care of is how I view it. Yeah. 
and com- well, just bring it back to comedy. That's what I, that's why I fell in love with comedy right away. It was doing these short films. It, the process is so long to get a gauge on whether if it's good or not. You know what I mean? Like making a short film, it's months. You shoot it, then you got to edit it, then you finally show people. And most of the times they're lying to you, right? <laughs> oh yeah, it's great. I love it. Most of the times they're lying to you. With comedy, it's not like that. It's instant. You write something, you test it out, and whatever feedback you get is an honest feedback. Yeah, that's what I loved about comedy too was that the instant gratification and then I really felt like there's kind of like a dopamine hit that you get from like a really good set, like just carrying all that laughter and it's really fun. Um, But yeah, I I think what's interesting though as I always think about barrier to entry is that it's so hard to make um, a quality short, like to spend the money, get the crew, all that stuff versus like stand-up, anyone could go to an open mic and possibly get a laugh where I think in a way there might be more money in filmmaking mm-hmm. than there actually is in stand-up for most people. But it's like, I think it's just a little easier to start mm-hmm. in comedy. So I, it, there's a, there's pros and cons for both mm-hmm. for sure. Um, going back now, you, you, how long did it take you to feel comfortable with like talking about that you're a writer for Hustler and that you wanted to get into adult filmmaking? Like, so, what, And what was that kind of catalyst to make you change your mind to be more open about it? When I started stand-up, I just made jokes. Uh, in the beginning, it was just like, oh, I'm a writer. And it was very vague, just like, I'm a writer. And then like, I think after a few months, I was like, okay, I'm a writer for a porno magazine. And people were like, you got to say which magazine because people are going to be like, what? And so finally, I was just like, okay, I write for Hustler. And then... Um, then I started actually revealing some of like the funny things that I've experienced there. But like, I really, it took me a while. And like, I... Um, by the time I had started comedy, I think that would mean that I had been at writing for Hustler for like four years, let's say. Wow. And um, I had never told anyone in f- those four years what I did. Not even your parents? No, no yeah. one knew. So like I would, I had like different clients. So I would just name those and everyone's like, oh, you know, they didn't care because it's so boring. It's just right, like regular yeah. boring stuff. Yeah. And then when I started doing stand up and telling people, they're like, what? And I was like, yeah, I've been secretly writing for them for a really long time. And when I just started being more open, people were cool with it. But um, in the beginning, I did feel like embarrassed. Mm. Like I was like, oh, what's going to happen to me? And instead it actually was like kind of empowering because now I just don't care because no one could blackmail me or something. Yeah. (laughs) And and I feel like stand up helps with that in life. Helps you to be open with who you are and really accept who you are. And yes. be able to talk about it. Like, I, I had a lot of problems before comedy, like, just in terms of my even relationship with my girlfriend, where I kept everything inside. I wouldn't talk. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And ever since I started comedy, now I'm just like, okay, like, I have to do these things. Because I, I don't know, through comedy, I saw that every time I was fake and bullshit and shit was just bad. But when mm-hmm. I was honest, and even th- if I didn't think it was funny, but I was just honest, that's where I would get at least people interested in listening to me. Yeah. So comedy's it- helped me that way. It seems like um, when you can't be honest, people can use that against you. They can blackmail you. They can bully you. Mm. But once you're just like, so what's their comeback to you? If you're just like, if they insult (laughs) you, you're just like, what's your point? Like, I remember what's so crazy is I wrote a post recently where I was like talking about my production company. I was like, yeah, I shadowed Oliver and he let me direct an erotic film. Mm -hmm. And someone like tried to write me this like kind of weird message. They're like, you wrote a, you directed a porno and I like trying to make fun of me. And I was like, I literally told you, are you like making fun of me with something I just told you? You would never know if I didn't tell you. So why are you like, ha ha ha. People always just have to have something say but also if they dm that to me i'm like you didn't have the balls to make fun of me in public (laughs) like 
I actually don't respond to anyone in DMs. Um, mm. Like I'll do public ones, sure, whatever. But like to me, I was like, if you can't make your weird comment publicly, I'm not going to acknowledge you and waste my time privately. 100%. Like why are you writing it privately? Yeah. Um, what, did, do your parents know that you're like uh, – have directed an adult film? They do. And like, they know that Oliver, what he does too. And mm. they're like totally fine with it. Yeah. At a certain point, it's like, what's, what's the problem? Yeah. Cause you know, Asians, you know, they're very, I think it's, it's like, what's the problem? Like, you know, um, if you make a living, it's way different than if you're like asking people for handouts and you're doing embarrassing things, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I make a living and I do well in Los Angeles. Like, what is the problem? Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I guess my family views it. They're just like, who cares? Are they still in Kansas? No, they actually live in um in the LA area. Oh, nice. Yeah. So my family's here. I see them like quite often, like once a week. Very and nice. so like all my family knows, um, it's really not as shameful. It's only shameful if you make it shameful is how I view it. Because there are plenty of people in different industries that they do worse things than just have sex on camera. <laughs> right? It's like they take advantage of people. They poison children, you know, like they like rip people off. There's wage theft. There's yeah. so many different different industries that are way worse than the adult industry. It's just the adult industry is just like salacious and it's easy to condemn. Right. But there's so many like boring industries that are actually evil. That's so weird to think about. Cause like, again, I'll say it again. It's just, you don't hear ever hear these stories. Like there is this certain stigma with porn and it's obviously a lot of people, you know, like the, the well, crosses and stuff. I view it this way, right? Like who's more evil me writing a porno or a cigarette salesman or cigarette marketing guy like really who's evil more evil at the end of the day i mean if me and no one but i mean yeah. just saying like but, I, I see your point see i definitely I mean? see like, your point it, yeah like so what's the difference yeah. like um or let's say this like let's say you work for like a power company and you like you have a power plant and it's like poisoning the people right. or let's say you, um, the, like that train company that like, um, you know, derailed and basically poisoned that town. Like yeah. all those people involved with the cover yeah. up, the people who did the town, Absolutely. it's like, who's more evil. And so it's kind of like, uh, not playing the game of like, you know, not necessarily trying to say who's more evil, but I also think what I'm involved with is not necessarily No, there's bad. so much worse shit that is happening. I mean, like Apple's batteries, you know what I mean? Like where they get their batteries, lithium ion or oh. lithium ion. Oh, I don't know. What was the story there? They, they fucking have thousands of people in Africa just mining this stuff. And like they're in slippers, T-shirts and shorts, nothing, no masks. And they're inhaling this stuff. It's obviously clearly poisonous. Like they're killing these people and thousands of them, dude, like kids like fucking 12 year old kids. There's a video of it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And this is like where we get like our batteries for like uh, hybrid cars, electrical cars, our iPhone. Mm. And they're just mining this stuff, dude. And they're paying them like less than a dollar a day. There was this meme where it's basically like, um, you just turned 18. Do you want to work around poisonous fumes or spend eight hours looking at Excel spreadsheet? Pick your, <laughs> pick your life. Right. Where it's like everything is not necessarily good or bad. It's like um, it's just some things are worse for some than right, others. Right. And so it's like there's stigmas. But really, when you get involved, you're like, is it really as bad as people said? You know, like so. Yeah. You go. Um, you ever go out to Vegas? 
I like Vegas. Yeah. I I really debated like because I know they're moving porn, there. Their industry or the porn industry is booming right now. Is like, it? A, a, a lot of people have been. That's what I've been hearing. A lot of people have been hmm. moving out there. Like the porn couple that I met when I play golf, that, that uh, the dude lives out there. Oh, see, I yeah. didn't know that like people actually shot there. Yeah, like, no, it's huge out there. I didn't know that because I know that people live there because right. there's no income tax and like mm. the rate of living is so much cheaper there. Where like I feel like here in L.A., it's so expensive to live here that I'm sometimes like, what is the point? Right. Yeah. Um. So I, I do debate just like, what if I just retired and moved to Vegas? But what made you leave Vegas? I left because of film. I left because of film. I wanted to get in the film. So I moved here in 2016, pursued that, started working as a PA, moved my way up to like a producer at a YouTube company, and then just freelance. These past couple of years have been freelancing like music videos, commercials, and stuff Amazing. like that. Um, before I got into producing, though, I was just shooting my own short films and editing a lot. That's where I found myself into film. Like Vine, remember Vine? Oh, right. Mm -hmm. I, I started doing Vine, and then I fell in love with that editing process, and that's what I just kept doing. Mm -hmm. And I stopped doing that because I really... the since the pandemic, I really focused on writing yeah, and directing. And then obviously just doing this now, just coming back to the editing. And I fucking love it. I love this form of editing. Like not this necessarily like sh short films. I don't know if I can go back to editing short films. I'll mm. do them. You know what I mean? But right. just this kind of, I guess, corporate kind of editing has been, or at least the podcast has been really fun. Mm. Yeah. What um, made you give up like the YouTube editing? Or is it just more like the job just ended? Yeah, the job. Just oh, ended. I see. Okay. Well, I wasn't even editing for them. I was a creative producer. Like, oh, I, I was, see. Yeah, just coming, pitching ideas, writing scripts, and then doing the hosting part, like the behind the camera oh, hosting. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So that's why I'm kind of comfortable talking to people and stuff like that. And yeah. this is actually something I wanted to do years ago before I even got into film, was just sit down with people who I thought were successful and talk to them mm -hmm. and just figure, you know, pick their brain. What part um, made it the failure part? Was it the successful failure? I just felt like that's just me. I'm just everything I've done, I've successfully failed at. <laughs> and honestly, the beginning of this year, or it was actually last year when I was kind of like falling out of love with film, I wanted to write a book about kind of like that idea, like me failing, but what I learned about that failure and how I kind of introduced it into my life, like what that lesson was. Because usually sometimes we'll look at it, like for instance, the first f failure that I thought I ever had in my life was I didn't make the my middle school basketball team three years in a row. And that, the reason why that's a failure to me is because I didn't realize the, that practice makes perfect. I thought I would just go in there and be, I'd be cool. With oh. it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. As a, And then that's what I took. And then like the, the practice makes perfect. I kind of took that idea and then went into jujitsu, right? And I practiced, I got good at that, but my ego got ahead of me. So it was always something that I was great at, I was good at doing but something about me that I failed at realizing. Hmm. So that I, it's obviously a rough book and it kind of turned into this podcast, but I'm still working on the book. I'm still working on the ideas, writing it, you know what I mean? But that would be something I think I'll do later. I just kind of want to build an audience for that book. I love what you have to say about ego too, about like sometimes when people's, they are just like, I'm too good for this or something like that. But it's like, we all just need to survive, really. Yeah. And I think that's, I don't know. I, I kind of actually think like my experience where I went to this fancy film school and mm -hmm. I thought I was going to be this yeah. big shot screenwriter yeah. and that did right. not happen. And that really, like, really humbled me to the point where I was kind of like, who cares? Like my now my new standard is just more like, are you a nice person who like is pleasant enough to be around and works hard, good right. enough? Yeah. You know, like I How don't have... You? 
I'm in my 30s, okay. like late oh, 30s. Sorry. I yeah, yeah. That. No, I no, no. Cut that out I'm, of the thing. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I'm in my mid 30s too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I agree with you. It's like one of those things where, sorry to cut you off, um, but you just have to go through life as a student almost, right? Like mm-hmm. one of my favorite authors, he wrote The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, Mark Manson. Oh, I love that book. Mm-hmm. So he, I follow him on Twitter and a couple of weeks ago he had this tweet where it was just like, don't think of yourself as this undiscovered genius. <laughs> just think of yourself as, simplify it. Yeah. You're a student, right? Or you're yes. a good partner or you're just someone who loves. And then ever since I'd, I'd, I saw that, I think right around I started this podcast and that's what kind of made me wanted to do this even more because I'm just now a student of comedy. Yeah. You know, and I'm using this podcast, using my skills to make it look however it looks, but mm-hmm. really just to learn from really cool people and network with people, you know, what I mean? especially in this comedy scene, because I feel like obviously going from Hollywood to here, a lot of comedians are a lot more open for, and in terms of, you know, political, but really just with everyone else. Does that make sense? Like they're, they're accepting, accepting of you and your views. I think because comedy rewards honesty and Mm. i think hollywood is not honest you have to pretend you're richer than you are you have to pretend you have all these meetings you have to pretend you know so and so that you worked in all these movies as a pa right right? right. like that's what i found myself doing i'm a pa and i'm like yeah i fucking worked on it i'm like who the fuck am i like why am i doing this fake versus like comedy it's like you will be eaten alive if that's how you act we will just make fun of you whatever but if you go in there and like i just lost my job and everyone hates me we're like ha ha we right. love it, yeah, yeah. But it's it's more about being honest. So the people are more pleasant. It's just a better time. But they're not like rolling in dough the way Hollywood people possibly are. But you're rolling in like happiness is how I feel it. Like I just love comedians so much, and I just hate Hollywood. Yeah, dude, and that's one thing I was missing my whole life because I was born in Hawaii and then raised in Vegas. And those two places, even though they seem different, the hospitality is what I learned. You know mm. what I mean? Like Hawaii. The, the aloha spirit you yeah. go to vegas no one wants to have a bad time in vegas everyone's ha- going there to have yes. fun so and that's how the locals were like it that energy bounced off out here it's like you're talking to people with stonewall sometimes because everyone's trying to climb here like no one's trying to climb in vegas or hawaii they're just trying to like get live. by and live yeah. and like they're so pleasant like i remember when i was in vegas once and i was just talking to like a waitress and she's like yeah you know i got my own apartment and blah blah, blah. and i think she even told me how much she made and yeah. i think i think she only made like 50k a year but she had a great apartment she had her own car and she, she could happy. afford it yeah and she's happy and i was like oh man what a better life versus here you some people just make 50k, but they're like struggling. Struggling it's hard. Way, way harder. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's like, oh God. Yeah, I don't know where I'm gonna end up, honestly. I mean, like right now, I'm loving this whole comedy. I love the comedy scene out here. I love the people who are in the comedy scene. Everyone's so interesting to me, mm-hmm. and I'm having great conversations, and I'm learning so much about comedy, you know. But I don't know where I see myself in a few years, like, in terms of like where where I'm gonna be living. Yeah, comedy's kind of interesting because like when I started comedy, there's so many people, and then as each year passes, like a lot of them quit. But you also see new people like flood in, right? And you can actually recognize like their enthusiasm and like. Because, for instance, for me, like, I only now try to do only, like, one to two shows a month. Mm-hmm. I try not to burn myself out. 100%. But when I first did comedy, I was, like, 10 to 15 shows. And I was, like, making all these posters. And I was, like, bragging about my shows. And it's funny because now when I see people, like, one to two years in, I can see that same level of enthusiasm. And I'm also kind of, like, 
we'll see where you are when yeah, you reach you're my get, thing. Yeah, I was like, you're going to get burnt yeah. out. Um, and it's like, it's not even a like, uh, I can't pronounce the word, scheidenfraud or whatever. It's just more of a like, wow, it's almost a formula of year one, you act like this. Year two, year three, four, five. It's weird. It's really weird. That's how Hollywood was too. Like I noticed that as a PA, like how just draining it got like my first couple months i was all peppy and stuff like that and people two years in they're like bro good for you and then two years in i was like i fucking hate my life yeah that's how it is how long did you last before you're like no more of this uh so about five six years yeah um in the in the business like i started making short films in like 2015 but like Mm. started working was like 2017 2018 i think but yeah so about four or five years and then it was just trying to get this movie off the ground, which I really got very just like, you know, I don't know the word, like discouraged. Yeah. I, was, I became very discouraged and very just like, and honestly, it was the stories they were telling too, because uh, I went to the film festival and I pitched it mm-hmm. and I had a great pitch, I think. And a lot of people feel like, I, I feel like a lot of people thought I did. And one of the notes I got was from this guy who was the ex-chairman of AMC Theaters. Mm. He's basically the... Uh, kind of like the booker for the theaters yeah. around the country. And he said that my movie um, is probably, would be, if I did it the right way, $100 million. A hmm. $100 million movie to be made. Yeah. And the story is about an elderly couple who escapes a care home to have one last night out in Las Vegas. Mm, that sounds fun. Yeah, it was what I did. I was a caretaker and obviously grew up in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, write what you know, you know. Yeah. And um, But I heard that and I had actors attached. I was on like the 12th draft already. And ended up didn't winning. I lost to someone who didn't even have a script. Hmm. And then I looked at it, and but it's his story. It was an African American who, who was gay, and that's some you know right now that's something Hollywood wants to just. I was gonna bring laugh in. and be like, was it Moonlight? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. you did deserve to lose. Yeah. <laughs> Which that was that's my fa- one that, of my favorite movies. Isn't that funny if you turn out? I was like, that, well, that is a pretty good story if that was like Moonlight or something like that. And I was that. so bitter about it. I'm yeah, like, I would have won that. You're like, I could do better. I was like, I would have won that can Oscar. You do better than Moonlight. Uh, fuck but no, yeah, yeah. no, no. But no, that you know, and that was the thing. And maybe you know, I'm just not cut out for it. That's that was one a thing where I was just kind of replaying over my head and just like, am I really? just not that good no that's not true yeah i kind of think the thing is that we will always get rejected it's just more like you have to pick yourself back up so it's like you know you might need some time to like think about it but come back to it like if you really love it you'll come back to it which i'm not gonna lie i already am like i had a conversation with justin borland i don't know if you know him no i don't he's a he's a stand-up comedian but he also does short films but i was talking to him and our both of our favorite directors is Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So we were just talking about, and then I was doing the editing and I was listening to all the music and I was like, fuck, dude, I want to make a short film now. Do it. Yeah. Like the thing is taking a break is not quitting. Like truly it's not the same thing. Like quitting is more like I'm truly done, but you just kind of like a setback and you needed some time off and really what's well, your time off? Like a year or two. That's not even that much. A couple months. I was still working. <laughs> I was still working. Yeah. I was still, a couple yeah, of months yeah. is not taking time off either. Like mm. even some people are like, oh man, I haven't done stand up in so long and you're like oh when's the last time you did a week ago like oh my god a week is like uh, people go on vacations you know it's like this is normal like it's normal to take some time off and like a few months is not quitting like you made it sound like this was like years and years ago (laughs) you're so dramatic now that i'm gonna know you more i was like what is he talking about i am dramatic i am a dramatic person (laughs) you're dramatic that's fine that's fine um so what's the end goal with this we've gone way over but this is an amazing conversation but i just want to know where do you want to go with this obviously you're doing stand-up you're a director oh my god 
bad. I'm the opposite where I actually don't want to work. I know I like have this like lady boss like uh, persona, but really I'm like, I don't want to work. But I you really hustle though, dude. I don't even want to. It's like, almost like I have to because it's like, um, like I don't want to ask people for money or to take care of me and stuff. So I have to keep constantly work to keep myself afloat. And like, I'm a little bit of a she, she bitch. I like to buy stuff. And so I have to like make a lot of money. And so I'm constantly working, but my dream is to not work. Like I would love to just like, retire early and just be kind of done like I wouldn't even care if someone's like I'm gonna take all your shit and all your spots so I don't care if I if I had money to retire like right. that's my dream is just to be done like I would just love to be done and just like hang out maybe go to Vegas and just be like one of those weird old Asian ladies <laughs> gambling every day and going to a buffet that's the dream for me like uh, whenever I meet people and they're like super ambitious I'm like are you young like I'm just like <laughs> Like, I really am like, how do you have the energy? You know, like, like, yeah, because I'm in my 30s where I'm like, you know, the older you get, I was like, do you guys want to work more the older you get? Like, I'm, I can't believe it. Like, I, I, I don't understand yeah. people. Like, I understand when you're like 22 and you're like, I want to be the CEO. I was like, do you really want to be the CEO? That seems like so much work. Yeah. What I want is the money that comes with it. Right. But I don't want to do any more work. Like if I didn't have to be on set to make money, mm. sure, great. Yeah. If I didn't have to like write anymore and people just give me a bucket of money, great. Right. So, I mean, these are not tangible goals. Like just being like, I want to retire. So I have to like do things, I guess, to get there. Mm. But the minute I win the lottery, no one will see me again. <laughs> like, it's like, I have no aspirations to be this big famous person or uh -huh. anything. I just want money to retire and to relax. There you go. That's the dream. There you go. To be From done. Low. Yeah, to be done. What? So if you want to donate to me and give me $100. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put the, the Venmo the on the end, bottom. Be like, Venmo, yeah. please. But yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, I, I'm curious for you, what is your dream? My dream? Uh, to be honest with you, I, I, a part of me still do want to make films. I, I have this whole dream about, you know, making movies about Vegas locals because that's something <gasps> we didn't see. Oh right? my God. Like that, with the I would hangover. Watch that. Like I have uh, pilots that I've written about, you know, kind of like my childhood. Uh, we were like, our first job we got as lifeguards at a pool on the strip. So just stuff like that, you know, like my feature. I've got a whole bunch of stories that I want to tell. I think people would love that. I just love Vegas so much. But yeah, granted, and it's growing. I do watch a lot of Vegas stuff, more about tourism stuff, but I love those YouTube videos where it's like, oh, these are the restaurants to go to. This is what to go Dude. to. But they're so fun, and I watch the same content, but just in a different way. The Vegas food is best in the world. It's so great. It's the best in the world. I don't care what anyone in here in L.A. says. L.A. food sucks. It's, it's so great. Here. Like, oh my God. Whenever I watch those videos too, it's like, um, you know, you could just spend like a whole day in a casino yeah. and just have so yeah. much to do, you know, and the food is so good. And there's shows like, I actually am a little surprised there's not more comedians that go out to Vegas because it's like Vegas has like these clubs and all these tourists mm -hmm. there. Like it's a little cheaper of a cost of living. But I think here it's like, Vegas is not for the comedians who want to be famous. Like here is for the like TV and film mm. and the internet make you famous. Vegas is more like you just want to perform and make yeah, some money and go true. home. Very true. But like, yeah, but that's what I would rather have. Since I don't really chase fame, I wouldn't mind just being like, okay, I'm a host at like a club yeah. in the casino and just live my life. But like here though, there's just the opportunity of like, oh, I could be on this show right. and be famous and blah, blah. Yeah. And I think that people still want to pursue that now you know hell yeah yeah so i don't know no. <laughs>
<laughs> well, I don't want. Okay. Yeah, but um, let's tell the people where they can find you, Teresa. Okay, you can find me on Instagram at Teresa Low Writer, and then my company at Joker Cat Entertainment on Instagram. Perfect. Thank, again, I want to thank you so much for coming all out all the way out here and getting to know you. This is awesome. Thank I had you a great for time. having me. Yeah. Thank you, Teresa. Great. Okay. Have a good one. Bye. Thank Bye, you. Bye, guys. Thanks for Bye. watching. Bye.